Hello, I'm Marie Hitzmeyman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, the weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Today's topic is how to communicate with your teenager. My guest is Henny Foster, educational psychologist, motivational speaker, and business and life coach from Johannesburg. Welcome, Henny. Thank you, Marie. Thank you for the privilege of being, being with you today. To our listeners, after our conversation, Henny will give us his three best tips on managing anxiety. And then it will be fun question time. Henny, you're a psychologist as well as a coach. Could you tell us more about your work? As an educational psychologist, I work mainly with, with children, teenagers and families. So my, my focus is working with, in the family system to help the child. Very often the child is the symptom of what's happening in the house and then the behavior comes out or there are uh, educational difficulties. So I work a lot with that. Um, as a coach, I do a lot of coaching within companies, individual coaching, as well as group coaching, helping companies with strategy, their values, and managing their stuff. And being a coach and a psychologist, how do these two modalities influence each other? The nice thing about being a coach and a psychologist is I, in therapy, I combine both of them. Because therapy very often is looking at what is the problem and where did the problem come from, where coaching is more future focused. So in my therapy, I bring a lot of coaching tools in because I like to have my client leave with a tool at the end of a session. So a bit of homework to go and do, to go and apply it. Otherwise, I feel therapy is very often just a, a conversation you have and people walk out without without having something that empowers them. That sounds very sensible. Where does your interest in teenagers come from? I walked a very interesting journey from a, from a young age. I knew that I wanted to be a psychologist and you watch all these movies, these American movies about the therapists and then you think you're going to end up being a clinical psychologist. And the, the good man upstairs had a different plan for me. And I started out studying education because I had an education bursary. And then after my BA, I wanted to go into clinical psychology honors. And then the education department said to me, no, I must first do my education degree uh, or my education diploma, which I did. And then afterwards, I went into the educational psychology field, did my honors and masters. And... Uh, that's how I ended up working with children and working with teenagers and I discovered I've got a big passion and I've got a big heart for children and for families and for teenagers. And you have teenagers in the house too, don't you? I've got teenagers in the house, two daughters, one of 13, one of nearly 16, going on 35. But yes, I've got two teenage daughters in the house, yes. Yeah, so like any parent of teenagers, you know what you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I don't know. And very often I get told, Dad, you don't know. I say to them, but I studied psychology and I've I worked with this for 20 years. And they say to me, no, but you're just my dad. You don't understand this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly, because today we're talking about how to communicate with your teen, and then we'll also touch on anxiety among teenagers. But first, could you tell us why communicating with your teen sometimes seems so difficult? The first thing we've got to realize is that our brains continue to grow and develop throughout our lifespan. Now, one of the first areas that's fully developed by the age of 13 is the emotional side of my brain. But the logical, rational side of my brain that makes logical, rational decisions is only fully developed between the ages of 25 and 28. Some people's are never developed. Um, <laughs> but, and that makes teenagers difficult because as adults and as parents, the logical, rational side of our brain is fully functional already. But with teenagers, they are more emotional because the emotional side of their brain is fully developed, but the logical, rational side is not fully developed. So when, I, when, there's, when my teenager goes through a crisis or when they are angry about something, it's the, more the emotional side of the brain that's functioning and logic and reason very often doesn't kick in. And that makes it difficult for us as parents and for them as teenagers because we want to solve the problem and they just want to be heard mm. about how they are feeling. Mm. Is there anything else that parents should know about this life phase? Our reality that we are living in is that our children are growing up in a completely different world than what we grew up in. When we grew up, we only knew about international crises when our teachers told us about it. Now our children are growing up with smartphones and smartphones have actually made us dumber, not smarter. But the smartphones are there and they are on Instagram, they are on TikTok, they are on Discord, they are on all these different apps. And they're being exposed to so much more things than what we were exposed to as teenagers. And once again, the logical, rational side of their brain hasn't kicked in yet. But now they are seeing these things on TikTok, they're seeing these things on Instagram, they're seeing these things on Discord, and it makes their life difficult. and makes their, their, their self-concept so much more interesting because when I grew up, I could only compare myself to the children in my school or my um, immediate environment. They are, now they are now comparing themselves to everyone internationally. And on TikTok, Instagram, Discord, all of these wonderful, and I say it tongue-in-cheek, wonderful apps, there's so many filters in, and people look beautiful on these, on these apps. And then I go in as a teenager onto one of these apps, and I think, oh, my skin doesn't look good, or, or my hair doesn't look good, or I'm not, I don't have big enough muscles, or I'm not skinny enough. And it becomes, it becomes this big thing. Whereas when I grew up, I could only compare myself to the kids in my, in my school. And I, and I saw them every day. So I know that the, the person who looks fantastic doesn't always look fantastic. But on Instagram, these celebrities and other people look interesting and always look good. Now I'm also on, our kids are also on, on, on all these social media apps. And the, the communication is so much easier for them. And all they are communicating is via text. So by the time someone has replied to a message of them, you cannot read tone of voice, you cannot read body language. And very often the teenagers are reading, misreading signals, and they take things very personally. So it's a, 
it's an interesting phase and we as parents don't know how to manage it because we didn't grow up with these smartphones and these and these apps and the, t- and the teenagers have grown up with it and yeah that makes it a makes it an interesting phase because we have to parent these children but we weren't there in this phase where they are as they are right now mm-hmm. yeah thank you for that insight communication consists of listening and speaking do you have advice on listening to your team definitely our teenagers want to be heard and because the emotional side of their brain is firing on all six pistons, I think we as parents, when our teenager tells us something, we immediately go to problem-solving mode. And we say to them, this is what you must do. Tomorrow go to school and talk to, talk to the teacher or tell your friend this. And very often my teenager just wants to tell me they're angry, they're upset, they're irritated, they're frustrated. And when I don't listen for the emotion and I just listen for what they are saying, my teenager feels I'm not hearing them. My teenager feels I'm, I'm not understanding where they're coming from. So in terms of listening, for us as parents, after a long day at work and we are irritated, we've got our own frustrations, we've got our own anxieties, when my child does tell me something is to actually sit down and listen and not just listen for what they are saying, but also listen for the emotion behind it. Because when I acknowledge the emotion, when I acknowledge that they are feeling depressed or they are feeling anxious or irritated or happy or sad, they feel, they feel heard. And, and it makes it interesting when I'm, when as a parent, I am not acknowledging the emotions and I'm not listening to my child, they're gonna stop talking. And they're going to start talking to their friends because they feel their friends understand them better. And then they talk to their friends and then I don't know what's happening in my child's life. So I think we as parents have to learn the, relearn the skill of listening, not just for facts but for emotions as well. And very often listening is not just in the conversation but on our way to school in the morning. The conversation between my two daughters, if I actually listen to what they're saying to each other, I actually hear what's happening in their lives and actually hear what they're going through and actually hear how they are feeling. So it's not just them speaking to me. Um, and as a parent, I need, to, I need to be able to acknowledge the emotion. And that's where emotional intelligence for me as a parent is so important. Henny, please share your thoughts on speaking to your team. It's important when I speak to my team that I don't just give commands and I don't just tell them what to do. I think very often after we've all had the pressures of work and the pressures of finances and the pressures of the world, we come home and all we are tired, we're exhausted. And then when we do speak to our teenager, we say, have you done your homework? Go and do your homework and study, clean up your room. And my child experiences me as just commanding and demanding. My child is going to understand how to talk about emotions and how to talk about things going on around them with them based on how I handle it. So after a long day at work, I drive home and in the 15 minutes that I drive home, I process. So when I arrive home, my daughter say, hey dad, how was your day? And then I say, no, my day was fine. So all they hear is that they must say their day was fine. 
But if I arrive home and they say to me, hey, Dad, how was your day? And I can say to them, you know what? There were times today that I was frustrated. Load shedding, the generator didn't kick in, the aircon didn't work, or I was on my way to work to see a client and because of load shedding, the robots weren't working and I became anxious because I may be late for the meeting. And when they hear that I'm experiencing emotions, they're going to feel it's okay to experience emotions. It's okay to tell my dad, my mom, about different emotions that, that they are going through. And I think we also have to find as parents creative ways of, of talking to our children, of, um, of speaking to them. And there's a very nice box of cards that you can buy. It's called Conversation Starters for Families. And then they ask questions like, if today was a movie, what would the title be? Who would be the main actors? Who would be the villains? Who would be the heroes? So it just gives a nice way of, instead of just asking, how was your day? And finding creative ways of, of chatting with your child, of saying to them, you know what, this happened in my day. And um, this is how I handled it, that they can, yeah, it's okay to experience emotions, but there's ways of, of managing it as well. I have a question here that you have touched on. When teens are asked a question, they sometimes simply shut down. Would you like to say more about the optimal way to ask questions? Teenagers shut down very often because they feel we as parents don't understand them, because we, we don't actually listen. And they, when they do tell us about their day, we, we want to give solutions to them instead of just, just listening. So we have got to find ways of getting information out of my child. And we have got to take personality styles into account. You, you, you get the child that you pick them up from school, they get in the car and they blabber about everything. They tell you from the minute they walked into the school until they got into the car, they tell you in detail. And then you, got the, the, then you get the child that gets in the car and they just say nothing. And then you get the child that only tells you the good things because they don't want to disappoint you. So they only tell you uh, the good things that happened and not the bad marks or something that they're struggling with or things like that. So you have to acknowledge that your children have different personalities and that you speak to them in different ways and you ask ask them different questions and we as we as parents also have to be sensitive to to our children if i just think about how how my daughter's personalities are different one even at the age where she's at as a teenager when my wife or i are sitting on the couch she comes and she sits right next to us close to us and she starts talking and the other one likes a personal space but if you give her time, eventually she, she starts talking. And I think it's important for, for us as families to have family time, to not just go and sit down and switch the TV on, watch Netflix and binge watch, watch series, but at times really just to have a dinner together at the dining room table and, and to chat about things. Our rule in our family is that what is said in the dining room table stays at the dining room table. This is our bubble. So they can tell us about what happened at school. They can tell us about, about their friends. And very often we have, we have meals together where nothing serious gets discussed, but we, we chat about the day and we make jokes and we, 
and we share things with each other. So it doesn't always have to be a very serious conversation. And I think especially fathers have a very important role to play in, in a child's development. And even if you make very bad dad jokes, that's okay. The children like it. Like it. They get extremely embarrassed, but that's what they're going to remember one day. They're going to remember the bad, <laughs> bad dad jokes my dad told. But showing them that it's okay to make jokes, showing them that, that it's okay to, to see the lighter side of life and things doesn't have to be so serious. And when you are parenting your child and myself and my wife have, have got different strengths. So we've got to know that when, that we're a tag team. In other words, some things I can handle well, other things she can handle better. And then to say to her, listen, this happened today, or she will say to me because my daughter's they don't speak to me anymore, although I'm the psychologist. They speak to mom. And tonight when we're in bed, my wife will tell me, this has happened in my child's life. This has happened. So, And then I know what's happening because they want to talk to her rather. And, I've, and I mustn't take it personally because that's the, that's the phase they are in. But to acknowledge, to say to them, I know you're going through a difficult time. Mom told me the following happened. Um, and I know you, you know you are going through a difficult time. If you want to chat, I'm here. If you want to chat to mom, that's also fine. And just to just to be sensitive, to to listen and to and to talk to your child in different ways. Yeah, I hear you saying sensitive. That's important. Being sensitive and then also taking the time because listening for the emotion takes time, and sitting around the table and just talking nonsense or whatever that also takes time and very often when I see parents and I give them feedback on their children and we chat around things I use the word quality time and then the parents think where the hell am I going to get more time my days are already so full and I say to them it's it's small things when you're driving in the car switch off the radio actually listen to your child um, when you are at home and having dinner, don't be on the phone. Because when I'm on the phone the whole time and every time my phone beeps and I look at my phone, I'm actually telling my child my phone's more important than what they are. So it's not about the amount of time, it's what I'm doing when I'm with my child. Am I fully present? And that's a very difficult thing. Um, mindfulness is so important, very important, especially with teenagers, that when I'm with them, to be really with them and not to be thinking about work and what I still need to do and what I have to come by at the shops, but just to be with them. And I have to remind myself very often, stop what you're doing now and just be with your children. Any, how does one connect with a teen when he or she seems to withdraw? That's a difficult one because... Many, many teens need time to process and they need time to think things through. So we as parents very often say, okay, it's just a phase they're going through, just, just leave them. And at times I have to leave them, but at times I also have to say to them, okay, I can, I can see something's bothering you. Would you like to talk about it? It's also important, there's a saying that says it, it takes a village to raise a child and in our, in our family, in our group of friends, we know there are, there are other parents that very often my child talks to. They've got their godparents that they very often WhatsApp 
when they're going through things because they don't want to tell us as parents. Um, we've got other friends that we know that, that if anything happens, my daughters can go to them. And I think we as parents very often take that personally when they, when they talk to other adults, when they talk to teachers rather than what they talk to us, but at least they're talking to someone. And when a child is silent, when a child is quiet, to give them the space, but also to reassure them that you are there for them. And if they want to talk, they can come to you. And if they talk to another adult, that's also okay. Parents often say to me, they can see their child's going through through a difficult time, but the child's not talking to them and they don't know what's going on. Should they bring them for therapy? And I always say to them, it's rather safe than sorry, meaning take them to someone. It's, it's very often easier for a teenager to tell someone outside of the family, someone who they think are objective, just to tell them, you know what, my mom's irritating me, my dad's frustrating or whatever, and they just need to get that out, and that's okay. And to trust the person that you, that you take your child to, to help, your, to help your child to go through the emotions and work through the emotions when they, when they do become quiet. Now, how does one speak to a teenager who has broken a rule or got into trouble? The important thing is I always say we have to parent or, or discipline with consequences. When a, when a child does something wrong, there needs to, be, there needs to be, be punishment. But I cannot punish them with something that is something that's not related to what they've done. In other words, if I say to parents, use consequences, meaning if, if they throw their clothes on the floor and not in the washing basket, the rule in the house must be, I will wash the clothes that are in the washing basket, not the ones that are on the floor. And if they go to school tomorrow with a coffee stain on their shirt, that's a consequence to a choice they made. Um, or instead of hounding them and moaning the whole time and bitching the whole time about how untidy the room is, just close the door. But then you also have to tell your helper, don't go into the room and clean the room. Leave it. There has to be a consequence. If my child doesn't want to do their homework, I can tell them I'm here if you need help. But if they, if they don't want to do their homework, I must leave them. The consequence for that is going to be sitting detention at school or having a teacher that's upset with them. If they don't want to study, I think for us as parents, that's very frustrating because we want them to, to do well. But if they don't study and they don't get a good mark, then that's a consequence to it. So we need to discipline with consequences and discipline with choices. In other words, if I make a meal this evening, my child has, has a choice. And the choice is either you eat what I made you or you eat nothing. I'm not going to say, okay, if you don't want this, I'm going to give you a peanut butter sandwich or ice cream or this. Their choice is either eat this or nothing. So when... When my teenager feels they've got, they are in control of their life, they've got choices, it makes it easier for them and they, and they become more compliant. So instead of taking the phone away the whole time or taking the Xbox away, get something that's a, that's a consequence. And while we are talking about phones and Xboxes, I do think it's important that we as parents have to have rules around technology and social media and things like that because 
the logical, rational side of their brain hasn't kicked in yet. So when they are on their smartphones or on the Xboxes or on the PlayStations, they don't realize that a half an hour or an hour and a half has passed. And I find myself very often going onto my phone thinking, I'm only going to do this for five minutes and then 20 minutes later, I'm still on my phone. So there, there needs to be rules around that. And teenagers don't always like it when I say this, but there has to be rules around phones. In other words, I use for my children on on their on their phones i use screen time in other words by 10 o'clock my high school kid by half past nine ten o'clock their phone switches off by itself and it only switches on again tomorrow morning at six o'clock they've only got two hours a day to use whatsapp so that late so that it's not me implementing the rules the phone shuts down by itself yes they can ask permission if they need to to do more research for a school assignment but we as parents have to we have to parent we are the parents so we have to we have to help our kids in terms of that so discipline with with choices and they say um that the the most effective way to punish a child these days is not to take the phone away but to take the charger away and then you see the anxiety in, in their eyes as the battery becomes less and less and less and they know they can't switch their phone on. But very often when we do take the technology away as a form of punishment because they haven't done what they were supposed to do or they didn't study because they spend too much time on technology, taking that away can be a consequence. And then the child will, they're, they're going to be very angry at you but after a while, they're going to realize mom and dad is doing this to help me. Thank you. If parents are wondering how they can tweak their teens' phones um, to do what you have just said, you know, that it switches off at a certain time and on at another time, how does that work? On the iPhones, um, you can link your, your children's phone or the account to your phone. And then on the Screen Time app, you can have time limits and you can have um, downtime and things like that. On the Android, there are apps that you can use called Family Time. Um, but there are so many apps out there these days that help us as parents. And I think we as parents have to realize that the children know technology better than what I know. And they're being exposed to things that emotionally they aren't ready for. And I'm taking I'm taking TikTok as a as an example, and many teenagers say to me, "But there's nothing wrong with TikTok because I've got a I've got a private account, um, so people can't can't just follow me." And I read a very interesting article a few years ago that said, even if your child's got a private account on TikTok, it's what they are being exposed to. So even they even if they've got a private account, it's like dropping them off in the middle of Hillbrow and they're invisible, no one can see them and no one can do anything to them, but what are they seeing and what are they being exposed to? And I've got to know how these, these apps work and how the technology works and how it, how it actually influences the development of my child's brain. And there are so many amazing websites out there and tools for us as parents that we can use. I'm just thinking of SafetyNet. It's a South African one um, that 
gives amazing tips on how to how to work with children. There's another one out called um, Clicked K L I K D that gives very good information around around technology and actually gives you questions that you can ask your child that you can have a conversation around the apps. It's, it's not just me saying, "Oh, no more TikTok, no more this." We are, we are actually chatting about this. Just a, just on a on a side note, I sat with a grade eleven boy, who said to me when he was in grade seven, he was very angry at his parents because he only got his his first smartphone when he was grade eight, and he was angry at his parents because all his friends in grade seven had smartphones, but he didn't have. But now in grade eleven, he said to me, Henny, I'm actually thankful for my parents because. I was angry at them, but now I realize the reason they did that was for me to rather spend time playing sport and spend time studying, and it actually taught me self-discipline, self-control, because I didn't get the phone at such an early age. Good to hear that. You once wrote that it is important to ensure your children of a judgment-free relationship. How does one do that? That is difficult. But I think when we, when we assure our children of our love and our acceptance for them, and I always say to my daughters, no matter what they do, no matter how bad it is, I'm not going to love them less. And they've got to have the openness to want to talk to me about things. And I think very often we as parents start listening and then we become anxious and then we immediately go to problem solving mode and we say, well, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, this thing, or what were you thinking, why were you doing that? And then my child shuts down. Whereas if I, coming back to the listening again, if I really listen to them and hear what they are saying, then I can, at a stage, they are going to be open for advice. Um, but then they can feel they can speak to me about anything. And, and that's important. And we as parents have got to watch out what we are saying and how we are saying. Children are very sensitive to our tone of voice. So even if we are saying the right words, but with the wrong tone of voice, they're picking up on the tone of voice. So very often, I just need a moment to breathe and a moment to say, you know what, I just want to make myself a cup of coffee or pour myself a glass of wine and then we can have this conversation further just for me to calm down so that I don't get my emotions to override it and now all my friends that are listening are saying to me oh, and he doesn't always get it right but <laughs> in an ideal world it would be it would be good if it could work that way now we're coming to this issue of anxiety among teenagers I'm sure most parents will agree that today's teens seem more anxious than the members of previous generations. And why do you think is this? I've seen a big rise in anxiety after COVID because anxiety is very strongly related to control. With COVID, children felt out of control because then they weren't allowed to go to school for three weeks, then it became five weeks. And then after a while, they could go to school every second day. And then if they went to school and someone in their class tested positive, everyone had to go home for 10 days. And then it was 
later on it was if if someone in your class tested positive but they had no symptoms you could everyone could be at be at school even that person but someone who tested negative but had symptoms everyone had to go home so everything was out of control and the teenagers felt completely hopeless i had teenagers sitting with me and saying to me any all the nice stuff about school has been taken away sport cultural all the lack of things and all i'm doing is i'm going to school every second day or i'm sitting online and i'm just doing the horrible stuff the the academics so anxiety levels have risen because children feel out of control and now i put a smartphone in their hand they're being exposed to all this news worldwide and we are hearing about COVID, we are hearing about the the wars in in Ukraine, we are hearing about load shedding ESCOM, we are hearing about money being stuck in couches or hidden in couches and we are hearing all these things and my child is just a teenager and does these things really affect them and I think what's happening with my children is or our children is because they're not emotionally ready to handle a lot of this information and because the logical rational side of their brain hasn't kicked in yet it makes it emotionally difficult for them so i've i've made a rule for myself is when my daughter's on the car i don't listen to the radio because otherwise every half an hour there's a news bulletin and then they're hearing about about money being stolen and they are hearing about the murder rate in South Africa and all of these things so by the time I drop them off at school they are anxious because they've heard all this bad news so as as a parent with a child who's anxious I've got to try and give them control back to say to them but what let's focus on what you can control not on other stuff outside of that and that makes yeah that makes anxiety an interesting beast Yes, and th- that's just as important for us as adults, I think. If we get anxious, mm. we can apply that same mm. rule. No, definitely. And if, if, if we just focus on what we can control, it's going to make things easier for us. It will. You once wrote that our nervous system needs stillness, quiet, play and creativity. I like that. Could you say more about this? We, in order for my brain to process information, I need, I need downtime. And what do children do these days? They either lie in front of the TV or they play PlayStation or they're online gaming or they grab their phone. When we grew up, at, very often we were bored. And when we were bored, we became creative. And I think as parents, we have to... We have to say to ourselves, we don't have to enter, we don't have to entertain our children the whole time. It's good for them to be bored. It's good for them just to lie around the house and not have anything to do. Because when they don't have anything to do, they start becoming creative. And when you are creative, it makes it easier to solve problems. Whereas if they are just googling everything and everything on the internet is not the truth. So my children are Googling stuff and then very often what they're being exposed to is fake news or not the truth. So when my child is bored, they can become creative and they can, it's, it's okay for them not at times just not to do anything, 
just to be in their rooms and just to just to draw and be creative because that's that's what our nervous system needs. How can teenagers calm down their nervous system? And this relates to my to my three tips about managing anxiety, but it is it is back to basics. It's talking about am I sleeping enough? Am I eating healthily? Am I exercising? These things will help me manage anxiety, but also for me as parents to help my child just to focus on what they can control. They can control only their own thoughts, their own behavior, their own emotions. What their friends think of them is not within their control. What their friends are doing is not within their control. And my daughters very often roll their eyes because they will come to me and they'll say, oh, so-and-so has got a new phone or so-and-so has got this or whatever. And then I say to them, but what's your surname? They say to me, oh, Forster, and they roll their <laughs> eyes. And I say, in the Forster house, this is how we do it. In the Forster house, you don't get a new phone every six months. That's not how we do it. Um, so we need, we need as parents to ensure that my child gets enough sleep, that they, are, that they are eating healthily, that it's time to say to them, switch the TV off, give me your phone, go and exercise outside, because that's what children need. Any when should parents get professional help for an anxious teen? When you see that the anxiety is affecting things like sleep, if a child starts sleeping less or struggling to fall asleep, especially with anxiety. Children get into bed, they are very tired, but their brain can't switch off because their brain is worrying about things. Or the child that now all of a sudden used to wake up at six o'clock in the morning by themselves, now they want to sleep until eight, nine o'clock in the morning. Um, so if there's a, a disturbance in their sleep or in the eating pattern, that they start eating less or they start eating more, um, or the child that's very social that now all of a sudden starts withdrawing. So when you see changes in your child, and that's when we as a parent have to be sensitive to, to know my child. And when I see a change in my child, very often, as I said earlier, rather be safe than sorry and, t and take them for help. Rather have a therapist say to you, there's nothing wrong, than looking back when they are 21 and saying, mm, maybe I should have when you were 13 gotten help for you and if you want to take your teenager to a therapist what are the words that you should use to tell them that you want to do this this is where we as as parents have to have to be transparent in other words saying to them very often as a parent i struggle with stuff and when i struggle with stuff i i also can see a therapist or when i am not feeling well, I go to the doctor because the doctor can help me. And I'm now taking you to this, this therapist or this coach. Very often a teenager feels better about going to coaching than, than to therapy to sell it to them that they're going for coaching because this person can, can help them and give them tools to make things easier and better. Um, and I think we are lucky because this generation is more open to receiving help. But we have to sell it in the right way and say to them, we're not taking you because there's a problem. We're taking you because we want you to get help. Or we're taking you that you can just chat to this person about whatever you need to chat to them about. Thank you. That's good advice. 
Where can listeners learn more about what you do? I've got a website, uh, www.h2coaching.co.za, where they can go onto the Mosaic website, www.mosaic.com, and just go and look in the, under the wellness center. My profile will come up with all the information that I do and how I help children and the assessments I do and how I help families and teenagers. Right. I'll attach the links to these two uh, websites to the podcast. Thank you. Now we're coming to your three tips on managing anxiety. Three tips for managing anxiety. Number one, back to basics. Sleeping properly, exercising properly, eating, eating healthily. And even just tweaking things like instead of giving just cereal in the morning, give them something with a bit of protein because protein's got longer lasting energy. So rather eggs in the morning or a good shake with a lot of protein in that will help them. The next one is to actually sit down and let your child realize what is in their control and that they must focus on what they have control over. And the third tip for managing anxiety is laughter, is humor. Because when I am seeing on the light side of things, um, it makes it easier. Bonus tip number four um, (laughs) um, is to focus on things that I'm thankful for. I think very often something small happens in the day and it takes the whole day over. But actually just at the end of the day to say, okay, let's let's think about three or five things for this day that we can be thankful for. Maybe a nice meal or having a good chat with a friend or the fact that it didn't rain today during the soccer match. And when I'm when I become more grateful, a lot of research has shown that it comes calms my emotions, calms my anxiety, and lifts me out of depression. Thank you. Are you ready for your fun question? I am. <laughs> now, somewhere, Henny, I read that Henny Foster will work for Biltong. <laughs> um, yes, I believe a balanced, a balanced <laughs> diet is meat, meat, and meat. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I love meat, so I'm sorry for the vegetarians out there. I believe if you want vegetables, you should eat chicken. No, Um, yeah, balanced diet is good. I love meat, though, yes. Yes. I was just going to explain to listeners in other countries that biltong is a form of dried cured meat that originated in southern African countries. This is according to Google, but I agree. Now, here's your question. If you were an eagle... What kind of animal would be your favorite snack? If I were an eagle, what? Sure. A very big eagle because I would like either lamb (laughs) (laughs) or some form of game. Either a springbok or a or a or a earlant or something, but I would have to be a very big eagle then. 
<laughs> your mangus one. <laughs> a very big one, yes. Thank you, Henny. Thank you for your insight and your sound advice. I must say that some of the things you said, I think, are applicable to other relationships as well. So, But we are now focused on the teens. So thank you very much. Thank you very much for the opportunity. And to our listeners, it was good of you to join us. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone you care about. I'd really appreciate it if you'd subscribe to Calm, Clear and Helpful and if you'd rate the show. Visit my website www.mariehetsneiman.co.za for this episode's show notes and for free articles and podcast episodes on love relationships, parenting, life's challenges and emotional health. To follow me on Facebook, just search for Mariette Sneeman, Journalist. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me and the music is by Mark Marie Sneeman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.